Welcome to the Wake Up With Gratitude podcast, where we share tips, tricks, and hacks on how to practice gratitude daily. Whether you're a gratitude guru or lost your 10th gratitude journal, we've got you covered. We share personal and authentic stories from our guests who are entrepreneurs, business professionals, parents, caregivers, and everyday human beings just like you and I. Hi friends, and welcome back to the Wake Up With Gratitude podcast. I wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you to everyone who's been visiting my online shop, and thank you to everyone who purchased the 2021 Lanceville Landscapes calendar. I only have a couple of dozen left, and I'm sure they'll be sold out in just a couple of days. So thank you so much for all your purchases and for sharing my calendar around the world. The farthest I've heard is that it's heading to Australia as a gift as well. Now, this time of year, we want to make sure, of course, that we are staying healthy and happy. My last podcast was all about surviving, I mean, thriving through the holiday. So I want to just share something with you. You know, it's really important to choose to stay healthy and support your immune system during these times. And my chosen product partner is USANA Health Sciences because they make pharmaceutical grade nutritional supplements that are made in an FDA approved facility. So you're getting the highest quality product and you're really getting what you pay for when you choose to purchase from USANA. So I invite you to take a look at investing in some nutritionals from USANA this winter. My favorites are, of course, our vitamin C, which is called Poly C, our vitamin D, and um, a really amazing mushroom powder with zinc and beta-glucans, and that's called Proglucamune. So uh, you can just click on a link that's in the description, but it's a, a bit.ly link, so bit.ly slash healthy pandemic life. And this link will take you to my online store where you'll be able to order safely and securely and have the supplements shipped to your front door in your local currency. Now I do earn a small commission order on all orders that are placed using this link. And I thank you very much for choosing to support my online shop this holiday season. Hello friends. I'm back with a solo episode and I know I just recently did one, but this time of year is one that is really important for me and my family. And I wanted to share a story with you. Now, before I go any further, I do want to just have a content warning for you because I will be speaking about the time when I had a second miscarriage. So if this is content that you're not comfortable listening to, I completely understand and just encourage you to wait for the next episode or skip ahead. The reason I want to share my story with you today is that first, I think we don't talk about miscarriage often enough. And I think that it's a topic we need to hear more about so that women that do miscarry don't feel so alone. And the other reason is as I record this, it's actually been six years since my second miscarriage. I am so, so grateful to be blessed with a beautiful daughter. She is now 10 years old. And when this second miscarriage occurred, she was only four. And I'll just give away the end of the story. Everything that happened, everything that occurred after the miscarriage is what ended up birthing Wake Up With Gratitude. So there is 
a somewhat happy ending to the story, but I do feel that even if it's just recording for my own sake, for me to have a memory, I just think it's really important for me to have this story on record. So I'm going to start sharing with you. So what happened was uh, after my first miscarriage, my husband and I weren't really sure that we wanted to grow our family anymore. And because I suffer from endometriosis, there was definitely a risk that uh, if I did get pregnant again, that I might not carry to term. And before I had my daughter, I had um, a laser surgery to help just kind of get rid of some of the endometriosis temporarily to allow me to get pregnant. And I thankfully did. But after her, I did not, I chose not to have any more surgery. So I kind of knew there would, there was a risk, especially after having had a first miscarriage. So what happened was, um, my husband and I were really good. I knew my, my cycle super well. And we literally just, I made a mistake with timing. I thought we were fine. And it, then we weren't. And the next day after, you know, my husband and I made love, I actually knew immediately that I had gotten pregnant. Um, I know that sounds super strange, but I knew, I just knew right away that I was pregnant. Of course I had to wait a couple more weeks before I had a positive pregnancy test. Uh, but I did. And I remember I keep a gratitude journal. I've been keeping a gratitude journal for a very long time. And I, I have the journal from that time. And, you know, I remember writing, this was October 3rd, 2014. And I said, I'm truly grateful to be pregnant. God willing, our child will be born in min, mid June. And I said, I'm truly grateful that we miscalculated and I ended up pregnant. And so we, we kept things quiet. We really did. You know, after what we'd been through before, we'd lost a baby at 15 weeks. I didn't really want to talk about it with too many people. I told people that were close to me, but I was definitely not comfortable making any kind of announcement. And for those women that are comfortable that, you know, that's up to you. But for me at that time, I just didn't want to share it too much. I was definitely, you know, unsure about the outcome. And, you know, I remember like going through the the miserable time of going through first trimester again for the third time, how sick I was, but I knew that it would be worth it in the end. What's interesting is that um, during that time, a few weeks later, we'd actually planned a family trip to go to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So we were driving from Ontario to South Carolina. And on the way there, we hit a deer. Thankfully, my husband was driving and he was able to literally hit the deer. The deer bounced and the car was damaged, but not so much that we were, you know, we were still able to get back to Canada. We turned around and ended our trip. And so through this whole process, we ended up looking for a new car because our car did get written off. And I remember, you know, I remember sitting in the car dealership a couple of weeks before the miscarriage and, you know, telling, telling the guy who was selling us the car that we needed a bigger vehicle because we were going to need two car seats. And, you know, I hadn't even told some of my close friends, but the guy selling me the car knew that I was pregnant. And it's funny because the the car actually comes into the story. So um, what happened was on November 27th, I was about three days short of 12 weeks and I started bleeding. And I just knew, I knew right away what was wrong. I knew what was happening. I called my midwives and she said, you know, let me just check. It was a Friday night. Uh, let me check to see, you know, who's kind of on call at the hospital. We'll get you checked out. Um and, you know, I, I brought my daughter over to the neighbors and, you know, Dan and I drove to the hospital, the clinic just across the street. And, you know, the doctor checked and he said, yeah, he said, you're having a miscarriage. I see tissue. 
And um, he said, you know, I can give you some, some medicine to help speed things up, or we can just do the DNC, which I had had before. So DNC is when, you know, you have a miscarriage or it's an incomplete miscarriage and they do a, a, a surgery basically to, you know, to finish the process. And I, I remember having a miscarriage at home with my previous miscarriage. And I said, that is, I'm not going through that again. Like there's no way it was terrible. I remember being in labor, like it was awful. So I knew that I was going to take the option for surgery, but I also opted for the medicine that also like helps you to sort of go into labor. So, you know, I had the pain anyway, and then, you know, had the procedure a very short time after I went home from the hospital and that night and just, I just didn't feel right. You know, I'd been through this before, but for some reason I knew that something wasn't quite right, but I knew that, you know, I still came home from the hospital that night and somehow even, even though I had lost the baby and it is, sorry, it is November 28th. So we are exactly, you know, six years ago. It's funny. I'm just reading my journal as I talk to you. And I just, you know, I just said, I'm, I'm truly grateful for the excellent care I received. Um, and I, I still wrote in my journal that night and I, but I remember just feeling so unwell. And I remember that I didn't feel the way that it had felt the first time I'd had the surgery. So in the middle of the night, well, I guess early morning, I said to my husband, I said, we need to get someone to the house to, to take care of our daughter because I am not well, like something is really wrong here and I need to go back to the hospital. So our, our good friend, Sonia came over and she, you know, thankfully was able to take care of our daughter kind of in the middle of the night and went to the hospital and I ended up spending the entire day at the hospital. And basically, you know, the doctor was just saying like, oh, it's just, you know, pain from, you know, the like the medicine you took yesterday that was making you feel like you're in labor. And I'm like, I don't know, something's really, really wrong. And anyway, they really didn't know what was wrong with me. I, I stayed in the ER all day. I was freezing at one point and I was sweating at the next. And I just remember being in so much pain. And but they did discharge me, you know, around dinner time. And I came home at dinner and I was like, could barely eat. I remember, I remember we had Swiss chalet for some reason and the, the fries were all like overcooked and I just couldn't eat. And I was really happy to be home. And then our friend, you know, she went home and everything was fine. And then the next morning I woke up and I'm like, something is not right. Like I just, you know, I went through this before. I didn't have the same pain as I'm having now. And luckily a really good friend of ours is a doctor and we called him. He wasn't working at that time, but we called him and he said, you know, he just asked to kind of take my pulse. Like I knew how to do that. And we did that and a couple other questions. And he said, he's like, you need to get to the hospital right away. So we did, we, you know, Dan took me back to the hospital. We had another friend come over and, and take care of our daughter. And this time I knew that I wouldn't be leaving the hospital. So I packed bag, I packed water bottles. <laughs> I remember packing a lunch bag. I don't know what I was thinking. And I packed my gratitude journal because I knew, you know, I didn't want to not write in my gratitude journal. That's how important the gratitude journal was to me. So um, back in the ER and I remember drinking a ton of water and, you know, I found out later that one of the reasons that my kidneys didn't shut down is because the amount of water I had drank while I was waiting to be admitted. So I ended up finally getting admitted and they finally did, you know, a swab to find out if there was an infection 
because they hadn't done a swab the whole first time that I was at the hospital. And so I stayed in the hospital that night. And the rest of the story I'll tell you, you know, I I have memories, but I'm sometimes I'm not sure how good the memories are anymore, but you know, it's so interesting looking back. I didn't have time to grieve the loss because I got so sick right away. And even today, 6 years later, I don't even know that I really ever really grieved the fact that I had lost a child for the second time because I just was then fighting for my life. And that is what happened. Um, I was admitted to the hospital. I had ultrasounds. I had a CT scan. I was just so sick. And the tests came back. It took, I think it took over 24 hours you know, for the culture to happen. And it turns out my husband actually got a call from public health and he and my daughter had to go to the doctor's office immediately because I had invasive group A strep, which is only contagious through bodily fluids. So obviously through kissing or, you know, intimate, um, obviously actions, but, uh, so they had to go immediately on prophylactic antibiotic, but once they knew what I had, then it kind of became pretty serious because I was so, so sick. And I remember, um, being so sick that I begged, I begged to be put into a medically induced coma. I just, knew that I, I couldn't, I just couldn't handle being this sick anymore. And I needed to just, you know, be out of the pain. Um, and so that's what happened. And the, the crazy part about it is that the time when they put me to sleep or into the medically induced coma, I was actually with my friend, the doctor who wasn't my doctor, who was a friend, you know, in that moment, but because my husband and daughter had been called to go to our family doctor. And so, this is just a crazy part of the story, but I made a list. I wrote a note and, you know, my friend, Paul, he still, he still has a picture of that note that I wrote. I wrote down all this stuff that I needed my husband to take care of while I was in the hospital. I mean, it's so crazy. I was so sick, but yet I still found the time to write a honey do list for my husband. And, you know, a couple of things included like call the school, let them know what's going on, call the church and ask, you know, ask them to pray for me. Um, I was, there was stuff about work, like take care of these orders for people. Like it was just, anyway, for some reason, you know, right before I'm about to be put into medically induced coma, I make a honey do list. And my friend Paul told me later that, you know, he was trying not to like laugh, obviously, given the gravity of the situation, but I'm sure he found it quite funny that, you know, at that time, Julie was still Julie and made a list for her husband. And so, um, I, yeah, I, that's what happened. They put me into medically induced coma so that I could heal. So, um, what happened was, um, with this bacterial infection, invasive group A strep, um, I ended up with sepsis or blood poisoning. And basically I was within about 24 hours of organ failure. I, when people come to the hospital and they have invasive group A strep, so it also can cause um, flesh eating disease. And I got the kind that causes uh, sepsis or blood poisoning, toxic shock. And most people that show up at the hospital with this, they don't make it. So you know, one thing that my friend Paul had told my husband was do not Google, you know, what she has. You just trust me on this. You know, you don't want to know what she has. So I, um, 
you know, I was in the hospital and my husband was kind of obviously going back and forth. He was trying to take care of our daughter. Um, you know, my mom came and then, you know, once they realized how sick I was, then my sister came, then my dad came because our family was living, you know, all over. I mean, we were just very separate. I was living in Ontario. My parents lived in Mexico, my sister living in BC and everyone was apart. Uh, there's one really incredible thing that I found out after that my husband had done for me on top of everything that he was already doing. So back in those days, I had a daily gratitude message that I would send. So every day I had an email that went out um, that so people would receive in their inbox and it would be like a short message of gratitude. And before I got sick, I had finished writing them out. So I would write out, you know, the date and then the message on a Word doc and my husband was doing the data entry into um, MailChimp so that they would go out. So while I was sick in the hospital, I, I don't even know how he did this. He, he finished my daily gratitude. So the crazy thing about it is that there were still emails going out from me basically until I got out of the hospital almost two weeks later. So many people didn't even realize that I was sick because they were still getting emails from me. It's a truly incredible thing that he did. He just, you know, wanted to just continue my work for me. Anyway, I, um, yeah, I was sick for a week. Um, and I, this is the only time in the past nine years that I hadn't written in my gratitude journal. It was empty for, I didn't write for two weeks. And my sister wrote, you know, my sister wrote in the journal for me just to, you know, write a little bit about what's going on. She said, oh, she told me later, she's like, I wanted to write every day, but I couldn't do it. And, you know, I was in the ICU, so visitors were limited. You know, people could only come one or two at a time, depending if someone from the family was there. And there was still a four-year-old child at home that needed to be taken care of who didn't know what was going on, but it was the first time she'd been away from her mom and couldn't talk to her and couldn't see her and really did not know what was going on. And it was, I don't really know, of course, what everyone else went through when I went through this. I know that obviously it was very physically difficult for me and, um, in that way, but in terms of what happened, you know, what my family saw and what they went through, like I never saw myself hooked up to all those machines, you know, intubated, you know, with a tube, you know, down my throat to help me breathe. You know, I had to have a lungs, you know, a, a respirologist, right. To make sure that I was breathing. Um, I had an, I ended up with a pneumonia, you know, I was just so, so sick, but within, a few days, the antibiotics started working and I, you know, turned the corner and started going the other way and started healing. And I ended up spending, um, about a week, seven days, you know, in this, uh, medically induced coma. One thing I do remember is that the priest from my church came and said a prayer for me. And what's completely, obviously this is, you know, a beautiful God moment is that my husband had never told anybody at the church that I was sick, 
but the priest happened to be in the ICU for someone else. And my husband saw him and said, you know, the, the priest was like, what are, you know, what are you doing here? And he said, well, you know, Julie's here and she's, she's in a coma. Can you, can you please come and pray for her? And I remember him coming to pray for me. I remember him praying. I remember him holding my hand. I remember what he was wearing. And I know I was, you know, asleep, but you're not always fully asleep when you're in a medically induced coma. You have, you know, times of wakefulness and restfulness, but this is the one memory I have is him praying for me. I don't really remember waking up, but I do remember kind of what I went through in the few days after. I remember that um, one of the first things I wanted to do, because I couldn't really speak. So when you've been intubated, obviously your throat is very sore and raw and you haven't spoken for a week and you lose up to 50% of your muscle mass. So it's like extremely difficult to, to say anything. And I remember that... I still have this in my journal. I remember that I was trying to write in my gratitude journal and I couldn't hold a pen because I couldn't speak and I couldn't write and I felt really helpless. And, you know, for those first few days, you know, as I was weaning off some of the really heavy, you know, narcotics, I mean, I definitely had some crazy hallucinations and crazy dreams and and this, the lack of strength was so shocking. You know, they have, if you've ever been to the hospital, I don't know if they still have them, but these like foam styrofoam cups with plastic lids and straws so that you can drink water. And I was so dehydrated. And I remember that the effort of just bringing my body forward to drink from the straw was, I couldn't do it. And if my little table was too far, from my bed, I couldn't drink. So I would have to call a nurse. And then if the button for the nurse had fallen, I couldn't get any help. I've never felt so helpless in my life. Other really strange things is that I couldn't see colors properly. I remember someone asked me if those are, you know, they had my shoes in a bag or whatever, and they pulled them out and they said, are these your shoes? And I said, no, no, my shoes are red. And they said, these are red shoes. And I couldn't see the colors. And just this total feeling of, you know, helplessness and, you know, but I had, I also had some amazing moments. I had uh, a beautiful, amazing moment where uh, Jesus visited me in my, in my mind. And to me, it was absolutely real. It was not, I'd had other hallucinations from the meds and this didn't feel the same at all. It just felt beautiful and calming. And I remember his voice telling me that, you know, I've heard your friends, I've heard all your friends, you know, prayers and you will be out of the hospital by Thursday. And he, he held me in his arms and he rocked me and he just held me and he just, you know, healed me. And the next day, which I think was a Tuesday, I was, more lucid and determined to get out of the hospital as quickly as possible, get out of ICU. And I remember something that Paul, my doctor friend said to me, he said, you know, Julie, you've completed three Ironman triathlons. And I said, I, he said, I want you to dig down and I want you to remember that kind of Ironman mindset 
that got you through all those races. And I want you to use the same mindset to get yourself out of the hospital as quickly as possible. And that's the thing is like, you know, most patients don't walk out of the ICU, right? So the goal was to get out of the ICU as quickly as possible so that I could go to the next ward and then be able to be sent home. Cause I actually, it's crazy in the ICU, like time, there's no time. Like it's very bizarre. Like I just had no concept of time going by. And I thought that when I woke up, I thought it was already Christmas. Uh, it wasn't, it was a couple of weeks till Christmas, but I knew I was like, I I'm, need to be home for Christmas. Like this is, I must be home. And, um, yeah, so I, I just, I knew that I had to be able to use the washroom on my own and walk to be able to, for them to like, let me out. So I just used all that determination to start walking with a walker and just get myself even to the toilet, right? Like no more bedpan, just get yourself on the toilet. Like such little things, like the things that we just take for granted every single day, those were the things that I was fighting for to get out of the hospital and to see my child, right? I just, I wanted to see my child so badly. And so the next day, which I think was, you know, maybe a Wednesday, I, you know, I guess that I'm not sure I hundred percent remember everything accurately, but I remember the doctor coming back, the doctor who had originally done the surgery and he came back and he, you know, he saw me and he said, I don't, he said, I don't, I think you're ready to leave the ICU. Like you don't look sick enough anymore to be in the ICU. I had already started weaning myself off of the heavy narcotics because I do not do well with narcotics. And a little part of me also knew that like the quicker I got off the narcotics, the better it was. Obviously I didn't want to end up in a really terrible situation in that way, but he just said, yeah, you don't look sick enough to be in the ICU anymore. So we'll send you to the step down ward. Um, you know, we need a semi-private room and and so then that and I went down, I, you know, couldn't wait to move into the step down ward. And, you know, I feel like they like gave me the test because it was in a semi-private room and my, my bed was closest to the window. And so walking to the, the toilet was so far. I mean, in my mind, it was just so, I mean, I think it was really far and I had the walker and I just getting to the bathroom was so hard. And I remember the nurse saying like, are you ready to go home? I said, yeah, at home, my bathroom isn't this far away. I'll be fine. And I remember that night you know, when I was in the step down ward that my daughter came to see me and, you know, it had been, I guess, 10 days or 12 days since we'd spoken. And I remember her kind of crawling up into the bed with me and I was still quite sick, but not, you know, I was lucid. And I just remember like just looking at her and thinking how much she had grown and thinking how, how close I had come to not being there for her. And I knew, I knew the next day that I, you know, that I would be going home in a snowstorm. <laughs> and I did, I ended up, you know, getting discharged the next day in a snowstorm. Another really kind of funny now part of the story is that I mentioned earlier that we had uh, bought a new vehicle because our car had been written off and we needed a new vehicle because we were going to be bringing home another child. And so the day that I was supposed to pick up the car was the day that I had the miscarriage. So, you know, I, somebody called them and said, you know, we won't be coming in today. And a few days later, while I was in um, the coma, my husband had been managing my phone and the dealership called and the person in finance said, you know, when can Julie come and sign the papers? And he's like, 
well, she's at the hospital. She's in a medically induced coma. And the, I guess the, the finance person said, well, you know, could I come to the hospital and have her sign the papers? And he's like, no, like she's in a coma. Like she can't sign the papers. And I remember, you know, one of the first things that we discussed when I was in the ward was, um, you know, how we would get these papers signed so we could pick up the vehicle. It just so craziest things. And I'm like thinking to myself, you know, I'm signing papers for a car that I don't know when I'm going to be able to drive. And um, we did end up getting the vehicle, which was great. It took me two more weeks before I could actually drive it before I had the strength to drive the car. Um, what's, you know, so interesting is I remember coming home and I just remember just being so exhausted and, um, you know, going up the stairs, I, I couldn't, walk up the stairs. So I would like bum scoot myself up the stairs and just lie in, you know, I'd have to lie in bed. And I just spent so much time in bed. I remember the next day was a Friday because I got home on the Thursday and the Friday and it was just before Christmas. And, you know, my daughter was supposed to go to school and she didn't want to go. And I was like, don't send her to school. Like I'm fine. She can just spend the day in bed with me and do whatever. I don't care. Like she doesn't have to go to school. I remember, you know, that was a discussion. I was like, just keep the kid home. Poor thing. You know, she hasn't seen her mom and you know, I know I need to rest, but it's fine. I remember her coloring in bed beside me. It was fine. And I remember little things. Like I remember trying to shower and I didn't have the strength to stand up in the shower. I would sit on a stool in the shower, um, just to, you know, to clean off. Cause of course, uh, when you're in a coma, of course, you know, you're getting, you're not really getting that clean. Uh, oh my goodness. I'm going to share one more memory with you. That's kind of funny from this whole experience was when I woke up from the, the coma, um, the nurses were like, we have to wash your hair. And I was like, oh yeah, no, I want to wait for my like special shampoo. Cause I only use these sauna shampoo. They're like, you haven't had your hair washed in two weeks. We're just going to use the shampoo we have here. Don't worry about it. And the way they had to do it, because I really didn't have the strength is they, I was, kind of at the top of the bed, they, they tilted it up. And then my head was kind of just a little bit over the top of the edge of the bed. So they could wash my hair and they were like pouring water down into like another bucket. And I just remember the nurses laughing because they were just getting water everywhere. But I just remember, you know, them, them washing my hair for me. Um, and then, you know, just not being able to stand up in the shower, but just, you know, needing help getting in and out of the shower and then getting back into bed and needing to go to sleep afterwards you know, one of the most incredible gifts out of everything that happened truly was this like understanding for simple gratitude and so many things that we take for granted every single day, picking up a glass to drink water, being able to hold my phone and type in my phone. I couldn't do that for quite some time. I didn't have the coordination, being able to walk up the stairs in my house or stand up to take a shower or drive my brand new vehicle. So many things that we just take for granted. Um, and, you know, that's where I started this real understanding of what gratitude really means and finding gratitude. You know, I even I wrote a blog post probably about five days after I'd gotten home from the hospital, kind of sharing my experience and continued to just focus on gratitude. And eventually that kind of birthed into what Wake Up With Gratitude is today because you know, waking up from being in a week-long coma where I almost nearly lost my life really is this, the embodiment of wake up with gratitude. And, you know, losing a second child, losing, having a second 
uh, miscarriage. My husband actually <laughs> had uh, a vasectomy very shortly after because we were like, we are not like, I'm not make, taking this risk again. It's not worth it. Obviously, we're so incredibly grateful to have one child. Many women that go through miscarriage do not, aren't blessed like we are and, you know, are not able to have children, you know, in, in the traditional, you know, way. And that's an incredible gift. And it, it's amazing that, you know, this is what really birthed wake up with gratitude. I'm going to read to you just an excerpt from my journal on December 12th, 2014. So this is when I was home from the hospital. This is the longest I have ever gone without completing my daily gratitude. I am truly grateful to be home alive and with my family. I am truly grateful for all the amazing support I received. I am truly grateful to be home with my daughter. I am truly grateful for the outpouring of love and support that I have received. I am truly grateful for the amazing ICU nurses. I am truly grateful for antibiotics. And I'm truly grateful that Jesus heard all of our prayers. So a few weeks later was Christmas. And what we did is we actually went back to the ICU and I brought, I bought a veggie tray because I said, you know, I bet you the nurses just always get sweets and maybe I'll just, you know, maybe I'll bring them something healthy. Cause I, I think I remember seeing that people would bring them things, but it was usually, you know, not necessarily healthy food. And I thought, well, being, you know, that I'm in nutrition, I'll bring a, a veggie tray. And I remember meeting some of the nurses that, you know, my husband knew them all. I didn't, I didn't know them. And even the respirologist, he recognized me. He's like, you hated me. I was like, I'm sorry, but I'm breathing really well now. So thank you. And the nurse said, she said, it, it is so rare that we see somebody come back into the ICU, walking back into the ICU to say thank you. And just even, you know, obviously walking back through the ICU um, is a big deal. So friends, as we go into this holiday season, uh, know that we all have our different challenges at this time of year. Know that this year is going to be a difficult one for so many. And also know that there will be a time five, six years later from now, from today, when you will be able to look back on this difficult time and you will see it through a different lens. I am not grateful that I had a miscarriage and I ended up in the hospital for two weeks, but I am grateful that I survived. And I am grateful for the incredibly powerful lessons that that really terrible and difficult experience taught me. Friends, I love you. I'm so incredibly grateful for you. I thank you for listening to this part of my story. And I hope that this holiday season does bring you love and joy and that you can find gratitude no matter what your circumstances are. Friend, I sincerely hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Thanks for sticking around right to the end. Are you a friend of this podcast? Would you like to help me grow the podcast? I would love to hear from you. I've created a simple online survey that only takes a couple of minutes to complete. So if you've got a couple moments, I encourage you to check out bit.ly slash WUWG podcast survey. 
basically wake up with gratitude podcast survey easy to find you can also find it through survey monkey and i would just love to hear from you on what you would do to make this podcast even better i'll post the link in the show notes as well and again it would just mean so much if you would take a couple of minutes to help me to make this podcast even better